When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 11, and we're recording on October 20th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello. Hello. How's it going? It is good. It's sunny and breezy (laughs) here, so I'm wearing a a hoodie, and that makes me happy. (laughs) It's like it's been raining over here forever, but Mm. now I'm like, oh, well, I'm in I'm in Portland. Now, right. So I was I just, just going to say, to it. <laughs> welcome to Portland in the winter, like slash all year. Maybe. I know, but it's nice because I'm still in that, like I haven't gotten sick of fall yet. Mm, so mm-hmm. I'm still in the cozying up mood. Like the first thing I thought about when I was thinking about this weekend was like, oh, maybe I'll get some hot cocoa or something. Yes. So comforting yes. and nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... It's it's okay, and we're heading into the weekend, so I'm pretty happy. Excellent. Uh, let's see. Before we get started with the show, I want to mention because you're all going to want to enter this. We are mm-hmm. doing we are doing a $500 gift card giveaway to the bookstore of your choice. It is open internationally, so no matter where you live, like we, you can enter, and we will find a bookstore in your area that you have chosen and and figure out the exchange rate and get you a gift card. Um, the giveaway ends November 26th, so definitely go and enter, but you have a little time. It's bookriot.com slash bookstore giveaway. And once again, you get a $500 gift card and you get to pick the bookstore that it comes from. So like your favorite indie We'll get you a gift card there. It's awesome. I'm so excited that this is the thing. I know. I'm like, I, I did a video for the giveaway and I was like, I'm kind of jealous. I know. Like, I wish I could enter. Like, I know. Sign I, me up. Whatever. Yeah. It's okay. You guys yeah. You guys can participate. And we'll just vicariously live yes. through whoever wins. Like, I, I can't wait to see. Like, I hope somebody like ats us so we can see their book haul when they get the $500 gift gift card. That is exactly what I was going to say. I was like, could the winner like (laughs) post their haul on Instagram just so I can glory in it? Like I need to see that. I would love to see it. So if you're out there and you do end up doing it, please add us. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we have a sponsor and I'm super excited about this one. And I basically begged Jen to let me talk about it (laughs) (laughs) because it is The Rules of Magic by Alice Hoffman. And I don't know if you've seen it around the interwebs, but it is the prequel to Practical Magic. And uh, this is actually sponsored by Simon & Schuster, who publishes The Rules of Magic. So from Alice Hoffman comes the spellbinding prequel to her bestseller, Practical Magic. For the Owens family, love is a curse that began in 1620 when Maria Owens was charged with witchery for loving the wrong man. In New York City, at the cusp of the 1960s, Susanna Owens knows that her three children are dangerously unique. She sets down rules for them, no walking in the moonlight, no red shoes, no wearing 
wearing black, no cats, which is really sad, no crows, no candles, no books about magic, and never, ever fall in love. But the Owen siblings defy them all. And I have to say, like, I got I got an advanced copy and it sort of kicked off my autumn season. And I could not I could not have asked for a better book because I am obsessed with practical magic. <laughs> <laughs> I love that story so much. I love the movie, even though I, you know, I usually don't go for very like romantic sort of movies. I have watched <laughs> that movie. I'm sorry. Wait. <laughs> I mean, there is a romance, but there's there also a possession. Romance. I just rewatched the movie last week, actually, so it's very oh, fresh yeah. in my head. Oh, that's so, it's so good. I mean, yes, you're right. There isn't that much romance, but I am one of those, like, really curmudgeonly, like, ever since I was a kid. I don't know what's wrong with me, but... When I watched this movie, though, I was like, okay, I will watch this a million times over. I will feel all the feels, Aww. and I'm probably going to cry every time I see it. Hmm. Like, the ending. Oh, my goodness. Okay, I, I need know. to stop I talking about this. I was just thinking this. of them, like, <laughs> jumping off the roof. So cute. Okay, sorry. We'll stop. We'll stop. <laughs> yes. But, okay, so if you haven't gotten the rules of magic, go out and pick it up. Uh, that's by Alice Hoffman. And thank you so much to Simon & Schuster for sponsoring this episode. So, yes. Jen, right. what do you want to talk about? <laughs> okay, I want to uh, – mm, I'll get to that later. Okay, <laughs> I, like I'm torn because there's a lot of things I want to talk about. The yeah. first thing that I want to talk about is that the new Philip Pullman, His Dark Materials book is out, and I don't know what to do. Like, it's so, – so we'll link to the New York Times review of it. Um, it's called The Book of Dust. Uh, oh, no, wait. Is The Book of Dust the series name or the book name? I keep getting confused. That's the series name, and it is related to – it's in the same world. It's in the same world, and it's La Belle Sauvage is the first volume in the Book of Dust series, right? And it's a prequel – to his mm -hmm. dark materials and it includes Lyra like Lyra as a baby is in this book um and I feel so nervous about this I I did not read those books as a kid I read them as an adult and Same. I was like so blown away um and so sucked in and so impressed with the world building and I read them as part of like one of those big compendiums so it was like one edition that had all three <laughs> uh, so it's like in my I have this really strong sense memory of like lying in bed with this giant paperback <laughs> and just being like totally blown away so and I haven't reread them since so I it's like I, and nothing is as perfect, you know, in hindsight, like as it is in hindsight. And so I'm sure if I were to reread them, I would like, I always have quibbles when I reread a thing, but the first time I'm always just like, bam. Um, and I don't know. I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I'm sure it's going to be fine. I decided to library it. Like I'll wait for it to come in. I'll wait through the holds. And then I'll read it and maybe then I'll buy it because I just, I don't want to like go running out and buy it and then be like, oh, this is not how it was in my head, which is, you know, my problem per as a fan. But I don't know. What do you think? Are, are, did you get it already? What are you going to do? No, I haven't. And I was laughing because I had the exact, <laughs> exact experience you did where I read it as an adult and it was like the omnibus version. Yes. And I I had the same thing. I, it was almost like a dream. It was so mm -hmm. weird and vivid and great that I've been seeing this book everywhere and 
I was kind of, you know, it was one of those things where you see it everywhere, so you assume it's already been out for a while, but it hasn't been out for that long. No, like, it just came out, yeah. Yeah, it just came out, and I have been... I have been very on the fence about it as well because this is a strange one. According to the article, it not only – it takes place before um, his Dark Materials and after. Right. And I – I think the series goes to after. Maybe not this Okay. Yes, yes. The series. That's right. You're correct. And so I'm like – I'm the same way. Like I kind of don't want it to affect the experience I had with his dark materials and how much I loved those books, even though it, I don't, it doesn't always happen that way, no, but I'm no. afraid to go into it a little, like there is yeah. the hesitancy and I don't, I feel like maybe eight years ago, I would have been like, give me that book like right now. Mm-hmm. And now I'm kind of like, it's almost like the anticipation has dulled a little, even though I know that deep down inside, I should feel very excited about <laughs> it. I am definitely going to read this book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I'm probably I think the library idea is a really good one. Because you're right, it could it could go either way, and I I don't know also if I'm ready to commit to it. <laughs> it sounds <laughs> and, so serious. You know, I, I have had good and bad experiences with, like, an author revisiting a work many years after the first round. Like, the newer Garth Nix book in the Sabriel series, Golden Hand, yes. I loved it. I loved Golden Hand. Now, I know other hardcore Sabriel fans who did not love it. So clearly, like, there's no one right answer here, right? Like, some fans are going to love it, and some fans are not. And they're all going to have their own reasons for how they respond to, like, an additional work many years after the first installment of a thing. But yeah. I – apparently I'm a nervous Nelly about this one. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you on that. It's it's difficult with the books that mean so much to mm-hmm. you. I feel like maybe if it was – you know, you enjoyed it, but it was a casual read. I will say with the Garth Nix books as well, I was like, those were those were big deals to me. So I was super nervous about Golden Hand as well. And I feel the same way. I was I was happy to read it. And so maybe that's a lesson that, right. you know, it can be it can be good. Sometimes There's we can have so nice much. things. <laughs> yes, yeah, sometimes. Sometimes. I mean, readers should not always get what they want. Right. Right. <laughs> Especially when it comes to answering some mysteries and, you know. But it, this sounds like a good book. I'm already hearing a lot of good things about it. I actually didn't finish reading that article, um, the review, because I was like, I don't want anything spoiled for mm-hmm. me. <laughs> so I yeah. must feel some anticipation and excitement. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What do you want to talk about next? Um, let's talk about. I just want to get this snow crash story out of oh, the way, sure. just because this might just me be me like waving my hands in the air, super <laughs> excited. But so Amazon announced three new sci-fi adaptations, and. There were a bunch listed, for instance, Lazarus, uh, based on the comic by Greg Rucka, um, Ring's World, based on Larry Niven's series of sci-fi novels. But the one I was really excited about, because I kept hearing about it being adapted and nothing happened, is Snow Crash, which is the book by Neil Stevenson. It's sci-fi, cyberpunk. I feel like nowadays people might call it 
well, no, I don't want to. I don't want to set a genre on it because I feel like I'm going to be wrong. But so, <laughs> Snow Crash is the story of hero protagonist, and this was my first Neil Stevenson read. I read Seven Eves, but Snow Crash, I was like completely. I was. I just love that story. It's so action packed and so fun, and it has that you know trending '80s gamer vibe, sort of. So I thought that it would be perfect for an adaptation, and there was talk about it a long while back. And then it sort of, you know, as adaptations sometimes do, it just fell out of the world. Like, I didn't hear anything about it again, and then I saw this article, and I was like, finally, they're doing it. They're actually adapting it. Um, And it's being – when they first announced that it would be adapted – they said that Joe Cornish would be the director. Joe Cornish is the was the writer and director of that movie, Attack the Block, and mm. he was also a writer for Ant Man. Mm. So he's an interesting he's an interesting person for it. They say that he's attached as an, an executive producer now. I don't know if he's the director. IMDb says he is. So I'm just really excited about seeing this story come to life. I do not know if it's going to be good. I'm not sure what the casting is going to be. Hero protagonist is biracial, though. I believe he was black and Japanese. So I'm hoping they stick with that and they don't, like, mess that casting up. Yeah. Um, But that that remains to be seen. So I'm just super excited about it. I don't know if I'm the only one. (laughs) Well... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> On principle, I refuse to watch anything Amazon produces because I uh, was an indie bookseller for so long. Yeah. Um, also, just a note about the article that we're linking to. They have misspelled Greg Rucka's name like twice. So they clearly oh, no. were not paying attention <laughs> when they put this together. Because actually, so I, I have read other Neil Stevenson. I read the Cryptonomicon and the second one and that's this historical crazy pants series um yeah i haven't read those yeah but but lazarus is a super good comic and that's an interesting adaptation but again like i this is why i was so happy when i found out that they had diverged really far from the man in the high castle's original novel plot in their remake Mm -hmm. of the show because i was like phew i don't have to watch it like it's fine they're they're messing with one of my favorites and And now I don't feel obliged to watch it. But one day, they're going to make something that cracks me. Like, I know that it's going to (laughs) come. It's going to happen. And, you know, Snow Crash could be it. Like, if they do the casting right and they, you know, they stick to the storyline, I don't know. But I'm, I'm... like, this is terrible, but I'm kind of rooting for it not to be good, so I don't oh, have no. to. I'm a bad person, you guys. You make me sad. My prince, I know. But I understand. I, I totally I understand. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. sorry. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. You're entitled to your opinion. And you, t- you make total sense. Like, I, I would definitely not argue with that. I'm just like... <laughs> I am, I am totally, I've fallen into the Amazon trap. I mean, I am like, you know, cutting off my nose to spite my face in these issues. Like it's, <laughs> it's, I acknowledge it. So I will let you know if Snow Crash is absolutely okay. terrible. Good. Please do. Please do. Or if it's I'll super probably... good. Like if it's super good, 
Okay. Let me know. Maybe. I'll let maybe. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll use my judgment. There you we'll go. We'll see what happens. Okay. <laughs> All right. What do you uh, want to talk about? Yeah, I want to talk about this fake robot battle. Well, okay. So technically, the robot battle was not fake. Here's here's the story. I actually <laughs> put this. I was so excited about the original story that I put it in Swords and Spaceships for this. Well, at the time of this recording, it was this week. Um, but basically, there was a literal giant robot fight um, between two companies, USA uh, and and Japan, uh, Japan both fielded a company that built a, a giant robot specifically to battle each other. Like this is this is a real thing that happened. The this U.S. robot was big enough to have two pilots inside. Like like we're talking like Pacific Rim level. Like I mean maybe not that big, but you know what I'm saying. Like approaching. Mecha robots here. However, they <laughs> build it as a live streamed fight, but actually they filmed it over days and made like regular repairs and removed it from the footage. So the fight happened, but they faked that it was live and like cut it. And I am just like, why is nothing is nothing sacred in this world? Like you promised a giant robot battle live streamed. Like if you had just said it will be like a seven day battle, like that's fine. Why promise live streaming if you're not going to do it and then lie about it? Like I am just flabbergasted at this whole story. I'm flabbergasted. I I don't even I had no idea about this, but when I saw it, the first thing I thought was like, "Oh my goodness, so cool!" Right? <laughs> and the first thing I saw about it was that it was fake, and it was immediately disappointing. But I feel like, especially nowadays, now that we're sort of clued in to how fake real TV can be, like mm-hmm. they should have just been honest outright. Like it's already kind of a, a feat to produce these robots and they could have even shown us like behind the scenes yes, of fixing them exactly. and so they could have made it interesting yeah. but I feel like television so much like now I'm gonna sound like a cantankerous person <laughs> but television they're they're just completely you cannot trust anything anymore when mm. it comes to entertainment <laughs> I'm just I was like new to this and immediately disappointed which is sad like i feel like that's not the sort of advertising you want and somebody was bound to figure it out I like know. there was no way they could have gotten away with this no it's not like we don't know when things are edited like people check for that stuff it's just and yeah exactly like i would have loved a like behind the scenes like oh here's how we're repairing this chainsaw cut you know because the yeah. robot got cut by a chainsaw like how is that not a better plan plan than than lying about it being live like I just oh anyway yeah I I really I was so excited about robot fight club because because the point of this whole exercise the original like robot battle was that they were like we hope that someday there will be like a full robot fighting league and I was like heck yes like I will watch that like I would like it's like rock'em sock'em robots but real like come (laughs) on that's awesome (laughs) That is the best idea. They should absolutely do that. (laughs) Right? But, like, why do you got to ruin it by lying about what you're doing? Like, you just, you had, you had something beautiful and now you've tainted it and I'm very upset. (laughs) That's my story about robots. 
<laughs> we're sorry for any of you who are excited about watching that, but there's there's nothing to see here. There's nothing. <laughs> I mean, to there's see. something to see here, but they 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 messed they it ruined up. It. They ruined it. <laughs> Should we talk about this Adrian Tchaikovsky story since it's sort of a follow up? Oh yes, let's to, do that. Yeah. Um. So that that book that we had not heard of was it ended up now it's going to be adapted there's so much adaptation news wait um, wait it's a different one though isn't it it's the book that won the british fantasy oh, award that's right. that was it's different. not the same one right yeah okay yes so this is children of time lionsgate is adapting children of time which is another book i have not read um and this book is First of all, when I read the description, I was immediately cringing because it is about creepy crawlies. It is about basically evolved spiders. And uh, there, like, I, just to give you some unnecessary background, I live in a somewhat basement apartment and I have spiders everywhere all the time. So the idea of this sounds terrible. So, um... (laughs) So it's being adapted by Colby Day. This is um, a book by Adrian Tchaikovsky. And it's the story of, of a planet inhabited by evolved spiders, uplifted by human scientists. Like, why? The last humans <laughs> alive in the universe who are on the hunt for new, like a new place to live after Earth has become uninhabitable. But then tension arises when the arthropods realize they don't want to be replaced by pedestrians. And I mean, like, it, it sort of, it's funny because it reminds me of like those B movies, like The Ant or mm, something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm wondering how that's going to look like today. Because I'm trying to remember if there have been other movies with, like, really, you know, almost old school monsters of sci-fi. Because that's what this sounds reminiscent right. to me. I mean, it's kind of like the serious version of Starship Troopers a little bit, right? Totally. That is the first thing I thought yeah. of. Which yeah. was kind of like, I enjoyed that movie, but I felt like that was kind of a B-movie. Oh, I mean, I think it was wrong. deliberately a yeah, bit yeah, a okay. B-movie. But I agree with you. I agree with you. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, I I mean maybe I will have to see the trailer, honestly. Because for instance, speaking of Starship Troopers, those bugs did not bother me. But if because they were clearly not like super realist, um, the closer to realism you get with monsters, the more likely I am to run the other way screaming. Like if yeah. it's clearly <laughs> if it's clearly ridiculous or like not at all super like a real thing, I'm fine. But if it's anything like a real like if it if it looked like a legit like giant tarantula for example i will not watch that <laughs> but if it's more like the cgi or you know whatever in um in 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 Starship Troopers or for example Josh we- Joss Whedon's Cabin in the Woods like I can handle oh, yeah. those monsters like I can handle that but yeah it really depends I actually really kind of want to read this book now though because the other thing it reminded me of is the Speaker for the Dead by Orson Scott Card which is the it's one of the books in the Ender's series and oh that's right while you know I. I'm not a fan of Orson Scott Card as a person. That book was the first time that I think I ever read 
anything where humans and their exploration and colonization were really looked at through the lens of like, what are you doing to the native populations? And like, what hath, what hath humanity wrought as it were? Um, (laughs) Not to say that he did it first, just that that was my first exposure to it. So, and, and even in Ender's game itself, you know, there's that moment at the end. Well, I don't want to spoil it. You haven't read it, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So I like, if, if this approaches that I am interested, so I might, I'm, I'm more likely now to read the book now that I know what it's about, honestly, which is half of the beauty of movies, right? Is that you're suddenly like, Oh, maybe I should read that book. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So that's my, that's my take on that. It really depends on the trailer (laughs) and, or how, what I feel about the book itself. Yeah, I would definitely. I I might read the book too. It sounds like it's going to be a while before this um, mm-hmm. actually comes out, so maybe we'll have some time. Yeah. Oh, I have so many things to read, though. I keep saying <laughs> I'm going to read a thing. I I cannot say that anymore. Book life, I have no promises here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I might see it. I might read it too. But maybe I'll just ask you how it yeah, is. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> What do you want to uh, – th- do you want to go somewhere? I think it's time for our second sponsor. Oh, yeah, it is. Uh, so our second sponsor is a book that is literally sitting on the top of my TBR pile. I'm going to get – speaking of things that I want to read, I'm going to get to it hopefully sooner rather than later. <laughs> it's The Girls Made of Snow and Glass by Melissa Bacherdust. It is the book that they are pitching as Frozen meets the Bloody Chamber, which is like one of the most surefire – hooks I've ever read. Like if you are trying to get women like me to pick up a book, like that is a pretty solid hook. Uh, It is about the stories, the entwining stories of stepmother Mina and stepdaughter Lynette, uh, who are, um, like sort of doomed to be rivals. Um, it so it's it's a it's 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 a feminist fantasy reimagining of Snow White. It's a it's a YA de- debut. This is her first novel, um, and it has you know magical and complex relationships at the heart of it. There has been a ton of buzz. I keep seeing notes about it, and the cover is pretty solid. Uh, so this book has a lot going for it. I'm definitely hoping to check it out sooner rather than later and you can check it out now uh so keep a lookout for it it's girls made of snow and glass by melissa bacherdust uh and thank you so much for sponsoring the show yeah i've been hearing a lot of good things about that one too Mm -hmm. um so i'm looking forward to that as well so we should talk about i think our our theme of the day which is one i am very confused about as well as paranormal we're talking about the paranormal genre and i was very glad you left some definitions here because so when i think about paranormal which i can't even say correctly (laughs) i think like almost exclusively about aliens for some reason oh interesting i don't know why i think it's just because Maybe I only ever really came across books about aliens when I heard the word paranormal, but it did make me sort of explore the realm of paranormal more than I had before. So the the Goodreads definition that um, you have here is paranormal books involve unusual experiences, 
that lack a scientific explanation. Some popular subjects in paranormal books are supernatural creatures, ESP, clairvoyance, ghosts, UFOs, telepathy, and psychics. So what is it? Do you have a specific definition in your head about what paranormal is? You know, it's funny. So it, it's really interesting what the f- first place your brain goes to. Like you went to aliens. I went to romance. Like because yeah. paranormal romance is like a very official romance genre um and there's subgenres within paranormal romance but like it's a like the three main genres of romance are contemporary historical and paranormal like that is just how it is um and <laughs> in regular fantasy or sci-fi it does inhabit this kind of weird, like, it could be either. Because if you're talking about, you know, ghosts certain supernatural creatures, like, that could be fantasy. But it also could be sci-fi. Like, it's very wiggly. Um, yeah. And the word itself just means beyond normal, right? Paranormal, like, inexplicable in some way. So there is a lot of, there's a lot of disagreement about what the paranormal, like, what paranormal means as a genre on the interwebs and between people who talk about it. So I have yet to meet two people who said the same thing when I asked them, hey, what's paranormal? (laughs) Um, And interestingly enough, somebody else I was talking to about this in the lead up to the show was like, well, I also conflate it in my head with urban fantasy, which probably isn't right. And I thought that was super interesting because I probably do that a little bit too because it's urban fantasy, right, is set in a modern context but involves fantastical elements. Yes. And that could very easily be paranormal. So it is a very wiggly word, and I think probably <laughs> some of our listeners will disagree with the books we picked, which is kind of the point. Like Absolutely. I'm, I really <laughs> would love to hear uh, what people think about when they think about paranormal and what they would pick. So, you know, sffia at bookriot.com, like drop us a line. But yeah, what do you, so what do you want to start with then, Sharifa? Okay, so speaking of, I think that I'm going to start out with my controversial pick. I know it's going to be controversial. <laughs> so I chose Contact by Carl Sagan. Ooh. Yes. And because it's considered hard sci-fi, because the science is explained and backed up by reality, we're talking about Carl Sagan here, can I actually call it paranormal? And I think about aliens and You know, the story is called Contact. This is obviously not a normal scenario, even though it's based in science. So first of all, it's about, um, in case you decided to skip the 90s film adaptation, (laughs) (laughs) Contact is written by Carl Sagan, who is first and foremost a scientist, or was. Um, He wrote Cosmos, a book I've had on my shelf for a decade and haven't read. Um, He was an astronomer, astrophysicist, blah, blah, blah. But he had an ear for entertainment, so he wrote this book, um, and it's about a woman named Ellie Arroway who's brilliant from childhood. She loses her father early in life, and that stays with her. But she's really driven, and she goes into a STEM field. She's passionate about it. She experiences all the horrible sexism there in college. And then she ends up becoming the director of a SETI project, which is the search for extraterrestrial life. And very early in her career, just as they were about to be shut down because, you know, the science community is incredulous and nobody wants to fund the research, they hear something. And she's really good at spotting patterns um, in sound specifically. So they hear something. And, of course, it becomes huge news because it's a sign of alien life. And they begin to listen for these calculations that are bringing them closer to 
contact. Um, so there's a wealth of research-based knowledge to pour through in this book because Carl Sagan is Carl Sagan, but there's also this mystical, I wouldn't say woo-woo necessarily, but a sort of magical, um, even theological and emotional connection. It's almost a bit like the Sparrow by Mary Doria mm. Russell in that it's it involves a lot of not only science fiction but theology as well and a lot of debate. Um, it's not romance. There is some romance in it. Um, but for some reason when I thought about paranormal themes, this was weirdly the first title that came to mind. And I sort of put it off when it first came to mind because I was like, no, <laughs> I can't choose that one because, you know, hard. everybody says it's hard sci-fi, but it, I feel like it can be hard sci-fi and it can also be paranormal because it is such a wiggly genre um, because the story deals in dreams and memories and relationships and weird things that really don't have any scientific founding that are more like you know, personal beliefs and belief systems. Um, and the human-alien connection specifically is really unique and it's sort of founded on emotion and feelings. And I don't know why that made it me feel like, well, I'm just going to use this <laughs> because I feel – I'm I like have my hands on my hips right now. You can't see it. I feel like it can count as paranormal, but you are more – you are more than welcome to argue with me. Um, and also, I have to say that Jodie Foster narrates the abridged version of the audiobook. So if you don't like abridged versions, don't listen. But she is super good. She's a great narrator. And yeah. Anyway, that's Contact by Carl Sagan. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have only seen the movie. I haven't read the book. Um, in it's your different. opinion, is, is it different? Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, I think you have made a solid case. I cannot... <laughs> offer an opinion because I haven't read the book, but I think you made a solid case. And it reminded me of a thing that I didn't say when we were talking about the definition, but it's a thing I wonder about, like, is paranormal even a useful designation? Because it like, it's so broad, potentially broad um, yeah. and, and potentially different for each person. So like, is it, is it even a useful word? I kind of think it is. I like wiggly words, but that's just me. Um, <laughs> so my first pick is a paranormal romance series that I have come to love for a lot of reasons. It is the Psy Changeling series by Nalini Singh. The first book is Slave to Sensation, which is like a pretty straight up romance name, right? Like you're like, I know it's going to be in this <laughs> no book. No question. No question. Um, but what I have, what I love so much about this book, in addition, because I like romance, um, but there, there's... The world building in this is so interesting. So it is a book about an earth in which there are three sort of versions of the human race. There are regular old vanilla humans, and then there are shifters who can shift into animals, different kinds of animals. So there's wolf shifters, and there's panther shifters, and there's, you know, tiger shifters or whatever. Like, there's all different kinds. And then there, like, there's even, like, amphibian shifters in later books which is super cool like i have this is the only place i've ever seen talk about like a killer whale shifter which is pretty awesome <laughs> if you think about it um and and then there's the psi who are like psy psychic humans who have 
different mental powers. So like telepathy, telekinesis, all of that stuff, all of which are very paranormal, right? Like this is paranormal in the science aspect. It's paranormal in the magic aspect because you've got the shapeshifters. Like there's a lot going on here. And the books get progressively deeper into the world building as they go along. So the first one, you're like, okay, there's different kinds. like, And the Psy are taught not to have feelings because they control their mental powers better, theoretically, if they don't have feelings. Um, so the first book is about a Psy woman and a shapeshifter man. And the, the shapeshifters are very in touch with their feelings because, you know, it relates to how they shift. Um so how can this ever work, et cetera, et cetera. There's also like a serial killer subplot in this first one. There's a lot going on. Um, oh. And But the the focus is definitely their relationship and the, the world building is kind of a backdrop. But as the books progress, you get more and more of the world building as you also get the different romances of the, you know, the shifting characters. And I just am hooked. Like I'm totally hooked because it's such a fascinating world that she has created. And it it does feel very true to, in my head, what the definition of paranormal is. Like, it's these things that are extra, you know, they're extraordinary, they're supernatural, they're, you know, they're paranormal, they're not normal, um, but they're part of the, the the warp and weft of this world that she's built. So I, like, I, I, I was not going to not talk about paranormal romance um, when we picked this topic, but I was super excited to have a chance to, like, pitch Nalini Singh to everyone. She also has a separate series that I haven't read yet that's all about like angels. Um, so if that sounds more your bag, like you might check that out. But I am a huge fan of the Side Changeling series. And again, the first book is Slave to Sensation and that's Nalini Singh. I could easily see my entry into the world of romance novels being paranormal romance. I mean, especially the angels. Yeah. But there's so many feelings <laughs> on the page. Like you just got done telling me that you feel like practical magic is above all else a romance. I know. I'm, I'm concerned for you. <laughs> I showed my hand. You, although I do think that like if anything was going to work for you, it would be paranormal. So, you know, yes. perhaps there's hope. Perhaps. Okay, I I might pick up an Alini Singh. I have yes. seen her covers around, and I I think that I could absolutely do that. <laughs> okay, so my next pick couldn't fit our last theme, which is horror, and I did actually mention it briefly at the top of our recs last time because I just started it, like I was only a few pages in. But now I want to talk about the Good House by Tanana Do which I finished shortly after that last episode. I loved it so much. I read it on vacation um, while I was stuck on the plane, and it was absolutely what I want in a scary paranormal book. Um, so this is the ghostly side of paranormal, making connections with spirits and communicating with the dead. Um, but they are in – the story is based in modern-day reality, or I guess it's like the early 2000s. Um, actually, I think the story – one of the parts of the story is that it's about to turn uh, – it's about to do the Y2K. That whole business is about to happen. So it's about being a conduit and that sort of thing. And it is obviously in the worst of ways because this is sort of like horror, fantasy, paranormal – um, the book follows Angela Toussaint, whose grandmother was renowned for her witchy ways, which, of course, is completely up my alley. And 
for one massive good deed she performed when she was young and the whole town, this place called Sacagawea, the whole town is racist. They shot up her front door. So it starts out really miserably. Um, and the book begins with a flood and this terrible tragedy. And Angela's grandmother at this time is a young woman, and she basically rescues the town from both of these things, this tragedy and the flood. And then we fast forward ahead, and we're still kind of like, well, what happened? What happened to the tragedy and what happened to um, Angela's grandmother? But now we're on Angela, and her grandmother's long since passed away, but Angela grew up in that same big, amazing, historic home in this fictional small town in Washington State. Now she's this mega successful career woman with a budding entertainment practice. And she has a son with her husband who she recently split up with. And then she makes her son, who's this budding teen, leave his dad's place in Oakland every summer to visit her in what the townsfolk, who are all sort of friendly now, but not all of them, they all refer to this house as the good house. So this particular summer, something big happens, something changes, and things were just beginning to look up for her family, which was suffering some tension, like parents are split up, so um, of course they have a young son, and there's some tension and discord, but the 4th of July changes everything. Angela decides to bring, invite the whole town over for 4th of July, and they're going to have this big celebration, and another huge tragedy strikes in the good house, and it leaves Angela completely bereft, as in, like, she has to check herself in bereft. But years pass, and she decides she has to face her fears and return to the good house. She still hasn't, like, the tragedy is unexplained, so there's lots of mystery in this book. You know that there's something wrong with this house. And Angela never experienced any weirdness in her home, but that changes as she's trying to solve the mystery behind the death that occurred there. And the whole town ends up embroiled in this horrible, spiritual, ghostly haunting. And there's possessions and rituals and scary mounds of leaves that move and jump at you. Oh, my gosh. And it, yeah, I did not think I could be afraid of a pile of leaves, but <laughs> I've changed my mind. So it's kind of, it's a haunted house story, but it's also a haunted town story with a multi-generational theme. And we also get to hear her son's side of the story because he gets caught up in it. And there is romance in this story. Now I feel disqualified <laughs> to say these things, but there are some steamy scenes in there. So there's that. It's not a romance. It's not a paranormal romance. I know genre enough to know that. But oh, yeah. I really like this one because I feel like when we think of spiritual conduits, which is another aspect of paranormal, like, you know, telepathy and whatnot, which does take place in this book. When we think of that or when I think of it, I think I tend to imagine a bunch of like stuffy Victorian types sitting around a table you know, holding hands. But this story deals with Yoruba traditions and African folklore and Orishas. And I just loved it. It was so good. And it was really creepy. So that was The Good House by Tanana Reef Du. Nice. Just because the book has a romance and it doesn't make it a romance, for the yes, record. Yes, right? Like, books true. can have love in them and not be romances. Yes. That's fine. Um, <laughs> I, so, okay, I, like, changed my mind mid-show, literally. I just edited the agenda. Um, I was going to talk about a 
series that I will still shout out. It's the Kate Daniels series by Alona Andrews, which is more on the, I mean, if you look at lists of paranormal books, it shows up regularly. I checked. Um, If you look at lists of (laughs) urban fantasy books, it also shows up regularly. Um, And it's set in a quote unquote post shift Atlanta where magic and technology like basically take turns. So sometimes magic works in this world and sometimes technological stuff works and never at the same time. So you never know like if your car if your car is going to quit like halfway to your destination because the magic is going to come up and leave you stranded because technology doesn't work while the magic is up. And Kate Daniels, who's the heroine, um, has a lot going on. She's got, like, family secrets, and she's got a sword, and she's really awesome, and I love her. Yeah. Oh, she's... This series is amazing. I mean, I am, like, (laughs) a ride-or-die Kate Daniels fan. Not gonna lie to you. But as we were talking about this, I was trying to think more about, like, the UFO sort of inexplicable phenomena side of paranormal, which is, you know, seems to me to be closer to what a lot of people think of. Um, And I remembered this book I read last year, earlier this year, Spaceman of Bohemia by Jaroslav Kalfar. Apologies if I said that wrong. This book was so interesting because it seems at the outset like it's going to be a very straightforward, hard sci-fi novel. Also about an astronaut, not unlike Contact. Um, And it is about a Czech astronaut, right? Am I right? Yeah, Czech. He's Czech. And he, so like the Czech Republic has decided to put together this really ambitious space project because there is this cloud, like this like, like cloud of stuff out in the universe and all of, you know, Earth's scientists and countries are trying to figure out like what it is. And there's sort of a space race to be the first to visit the cloud and take samples and bring it back for analysis. Um, And he had like Jakob uh, or Jacob is the main character and he like was a scientist and then got offered this chance to be the country's first astronaut and go to the cloud and like bring some back. And a lot of the first part of the novel novel is about him and his wife and like the reasons that he's going and how she feels or doesn't feel about it um and his family history which is very complicated and you know his father was a communist informer so there's a lot of like politics in here but he goes and now he's on a solo mission in deep space and speaking also of spiders there's a giant alien (laughs) spider and the the question is is he hallucinating or is this real? And because he's on a solo mission, he can't check. Like the the alien never shows up while he's in communication with Earth. And you start to like you're you're wondering as the story progresses, like, is he going crazy alone in space? Or is this a real alien encounter? And it the book progresses from there. And it was so fascinating and so absorbing because it also really digs into sort of the human experience in a way I was not expecting an astronaut novel to do necessarily, but it makes perfect sense. Like if you think about, you know, a human being isolated physically and mentally and emotionally from everybody else, like of course they're going to start thinking about their life and their feelings and their relationships with other people. And it's going to put strain on those relationships And it just goes in all kinds of directions that I wasn't expecting. And yeah, it was a really fascinating read. And I definitely think that while you might not at first glance 
put this in the paranormal section, I would, <laughs> because there are no clear answers. Like if, if the point of paranormal is that there is no logical explanation, like if paranormal is X files, right? Yeah. Like this is in there. This is in that mix. So that is the spaceman of Bohemia by Jaroslav Kalfar. That book was so weird, but oh, so, so good. so weird, right? I really liked it. Why do we have an accidental spider theme also? Like, how did that, I know. How did that happen? <laughs> Considering our interests or rather disinterest. <laughs> yes, seriously. <laughs> well, that's it. That's it for our show. Thank you so much for listening. And please do email us. I feel like you guys are probably going to have a lot to say <laughs> about this episode. You can email us at sffyeah at bookriot.com. And please do review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find us. And we love to hear your feedback. Um, and you can also find us online. I am at Instagram mostly. I'm at szainab, S-Z-A-I-N-A-B, Williams. And Jen? I am on Tumblr mostly these days. It's jenirl.tumblr.com. And that's Jen with two N's. Awesome. Well, until next time, happy reading. Happy reading. <laughs>